We are, as a church, we are in a study on learning about our giftings, our talents, and our strengths. We're calling kind of this series of talks, Discovering Your Superpower, which is a little bit of a funny concept, but we genuinely believe, and the Bible teaches, that God has made each and every one of you in his image, like we talked about with the kids, that you have a calling, you have significance, you have giftings and talents in your life. You may consider yourself a church person, or you may consider yourself a Jesus person, or you may consider yourself far from God. Wherever you are, we want you to know that you are made in the image of God and that you have talents, giftings, and strengths. That's what we've been talking about. And we've seen that as we practice the way of Jesus, as we come to know Jesus, one of the things that happens in our lives is the Holy Spirit layers in new giftings and talents and strengths into our lives to accompany kind of what we might call natural giftings, giftings that we're born with. These are giftings that we receive from the Holy Spirit that are a part of who God has designed us to be. And that's really important to know. You want to know who you are. You want to know what God has created you for. You want to know what's inside of you that makes you unique. And that's what we've been learning about. And that's what we're going to look at today. As we start, we're going to read in Ephesians chapter 4. If you're new to the Bible, this is a letter written from a man named Paul to a church in a city called Ephesus about 2,000 years ago. And Paul was a significant leader in the early church, so significant, he just goes by a single name, kind of like Beyonce or Drake or whoever. He's just Paul, right? And he had a radical conversion to Christ. And then for the rest of his life, he spent his life helping other people come to know Jesus and starting these Jesus communities uh, all around his region. And because back then they didn't have YouTube or text messages, or Facebook, or easy ways to keep up with one another, Paul, as he was traveling, would write letters back that would be kind of like uh, Yoda writing Luke Skywalker, like advice, mentorship, help on what it looks like for this community to know Jesus and to walk in all that he has for them. And we believe, Christians believe, that these letters that we have collected in, in a big portion of the New Testament are not just kind of wise words from a spiritual father long ago to a church in a city that no one has ever heard of, kind of in our generation. But we believe that the Holy Spirit, that God himself, was moving through Paul and speaking in such a way through Paul to this church that not only was he speaking to this church, but he was speaking to all the followers of Jesus that would come in the centuries and cultures after. So even 2,000 years later, we read these words with open hearts and open eyes and open ears that we believe God wants to speak to us and speak to you through these words. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul talking, and sometimes he was actually put in jail for his faith, so he really was a prisoner for the Lord. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, speaking to these Jesus followers, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So right off the bat, Paul does what we've done this morning, and he speaks to them about your calling. You 
have a calling. You may have been an accident in your parents' mind. You may have been an afterthought. You may have been planned and tried for. Or wherever you come from, whatever your family of origin is, whatever your skin color is, whatever your language is, whatever your income level is, you have a calling that God has called you to, that he's put in you. You're made for a purpose. That's really exciting. And Paul is speaking to these Jesus followers and he said, hey, you have a high calling in God. So I want to urge you, I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, to live up to your potential, to be who you were made to be. Now this is important because implied in this is that we can have a calling but not live out our calling. We can have potential but not live out our potential, right? There's a need that Paul feels, not just say, hey, I think it'd be a good thing, but to urge them, say, hey, this is really important. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So we can see that there is a gap between who God has called people to be and sometimes where we live, right? And you see that throughout the Bible, if you remember the story of Samson, if you grew up in church, it's often told to kids is just a story about a strong man who is a great leader. But when you're an adult, you go back and you read it and you learn a little more. You learn that Samson had an incredible calling on his life to lead in his generation. He had incredible strength and incredible gifting. But because, because Samson, sorry, because Samson did not master his emotions, he was owned by his feelings. And he would get owned by his feelings and his feelings would lead him into dark places. And so he squanders much of his calling because he didn't walk in a manner worthy of it. Solomon is a great king in the Old Testament. We hear that he has incredible wisdom. His father was a king, so he has the lineage of a king. Incredible potential. But Solomon did not master his love for different women. He would marry and marry and marry and marry and have uh, harem and harem and harem and harem. So much so that over the course of his life, he drifted so far from who God had called him to be and ended up not only destroying his life, but destroying his kingdom. In the New Testament, there's Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. They were called in their generation with a high calling like you and I have. They didn't master their pride. They wanted to look more than what they really were. And it ended up destroying them. So if we're honest, we see, yes, we can have a high calling in God. And I want you to hear that. And at the same time, we need to be honest with ourselves that we can fall short of that calling. And that's what Paul is speaking to us about. So we need to grow. Right? We need to grow. We need to develop it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need to grow. Let's just be honest. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you need to grow. And you know you wanted to say that the whole time. Okay? Right? We need to grow. The fact of the matter is growing is painful. Growing is hard. And yes, we are the type of church where you can talk at me while I'm preaching. It'll make it more fun. Uh, we are a church. We are, uh, we need to grow, right? Growing is hard. My wife and I, we have four kids. Our first child, I mean, our fourth child is one years old and he's learning to walk and he's learning to climb. And so he is just all over the place 
But with that process of learning to walk and learning to climb comes a lot of bumps and bruises and falls. Comes a lot of frustration. And we know as his parents, one day he's going to get this, Lord willing, but he doesn't know that. He's in the process. And so he's trying and falling and trying and falling and trying and falling and being so frustrated because he sees his older sister and his older brothers running around being able to do everything that he wants to be able to do, but he's not there yet. So the growth process for him comes with a lot of frustration, comes with a lot of bumps and bruises, and he has need for perseverance. Our three-year-old, he's been our one kid that loves his pacifier. He loves it. And Dennis, you can email me later about how bad I am as a parent for laying out a pacifier. I know sometimes you do what you need to do. He loves that thing. He is just attached to it. It is a great source of comfort, which when they're a little baby, it's cute. And parents, it saves your sanity, right? Uh, To give them the pacifier. But now as a three-year-old, he needs to leave that thing behind. That's really hard for him. Harder than any of our other kids. He is just stuck because that has been his source of comfort that he's gone to over and over and over again. And now some of you know where I'm going with this, right? Sometimes growth means leaving behind things that bring us comfort in order to lay hold of what's in front of us. Sometimes, and it has for my son, and many times this is true for adults as well, the thing that brings us comfort has now turned into a thing that holds us in bondage that we can't get by without. And so for him to grow, it's gonna take some hard work of working through going back to what's familiar in order to lay hold of what's in front of him. But he sure doesn't wanna be a college freshman showing up to the dorm with a pacifier in his mouth. My eight-year-old son, he wants to be a great football player. He wants to make all the big catches in the game. It hasn't quite worked out for him like that, And we've spent a lot of time talking about you're you're not going to make the big catches. You're not going to be that player without putting in the work. But I've heard it described this way, that often we can want the trophy without the training. He doesn't want to do the boring, monotonous, hey, let's go throw the football and just practice catching over and over and over again. He just wants to show up for the highlight reel. And so for him to get where he needs to go, where he wants to go, he's going to have to embrace the mundane process of practice. My eldest, she's 10, and she's navigating as a 10-year-old the balance between all these new opportunities as she heads into preteenville and the need to have responsibility in the midst of freedom. And that's hard for her, and that's hard for many people. And for her to be able to take advantage of everything that's available for her, she's going to have to learn how to manage her responsibilities on her own. And so all of my kids, for them to grow, are going to have to go through the process. They're going to have to go through the the process to get to the promised land, right? And the same is true for adults. There's some of us in here that for us to live out our calling, we're going to have to be willing to embrace some bumps and some bruises along the way. We're gonna have to be willing to embrace some uncertainty like my youngest is like, am I ever really going to be able to make this? For others of us, we're gonna need to leave behind some things that have been comfortable but now hold us in bondage. For others of us, we're gonna need to embrace, I'm gonna have to practice, I'm gonna have to train if I wanna get the trophy. 
And for others of us, we're going to have to be honest with ourselves and say, I need to grow in my ability to manage my freedoms in a healthy way, right? And that's what Paul is saying. That's why he's urging them that they need to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. Now, you might be like, Zach, I don't know about this. I kind of like being immature. I kind of like where I might be. You know, I thought, what about that verse that you read sometimes that Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who are weary. It sounds like you're talking about something that seems really hard, and I don't know if it's worth it. I want to share with you a quote that's been really meaningful for me from a man named William Willimon talking about this topic. And he says this, he says, Jesus does not come to us to relieve us of all of our yokes or our burdens. Rather, he comes offering us a yoke worth wearing. He's talking about yoke. He's not thinking about eggs. He's talking about a yoke you would put around an oxen that would move a farming device. Jesus comes and offers us a yoke worth wearing, a burden worth bearing. Catch this. It is a great gift not to have to make your life mean something. I'll repeat that. It is a great gift not to have to make your life mean something, or uh, it's a great gift to have your life given significance by the Lord whose cross, when taken up, takes us up as well. What he's saying is if we say no to Jesus, the, uh, the option for us is that we've got to make something of our own life. We have to make our own meaning. And so often, when we do that, it ends up going nowhere. If you make your meaning your work, right, and a certain career path, well, when the economy changes and there are forces outside of your control that make that not an option, you say, well, my life is worthless. Or if you make it and you're successful, right, you become prideful and you're like, everybody look at me and look how awesome I am, right? Either way, it destroys you, right? If we make our, 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 our meaning, our marriage, or our kids, or whatever it may be, again, the same things happen. If we get it, right, it turns us into prideful jerks. If we don't get it, we're crushed, and our life, we feel, is worthless. What Jesus offers us is not having to make your own meaning, but to, you're not made for that burden. He's giving you a burden worth bearing. He's saying, I have made meaning of your life, and you can lay hold of that, and that is a light and easy yoke, even if it's hard, even if it requires hard work. Even if it requires honesty, even if it requires change, even if it requires perseverance and process and going the narrow way, it's worth it. It's worth it. Now, when I was a senior in high school, uh, I decided, or a junior year, I decided I wanted to run cross country. And to be on the cross country team, you had to be able to run the race. It was like three miles or so. You had to be able to run it in a certain amount of time just to make the team. So at the end of my junior year, leading up to my senior year, I spent my summer working, trying to make this goal, right? And this was pre the days that you could Google anything and find like a plan. There was no Hal Higdon or no couch to 5K or anything like that. I was just a guy trying to figure out how do I get my time at this race to, to, to match up to what I need it to be. So that required a lot of miles at night because it's too hot to run in the day, in the Texas summer, even for a 17-year-old boy, a lot of miles at night, on the road, by myself, day after day after day. It's really boring, right? 
and no, no promise that I would make it. I eventually did make it. I made it to the team, but I could have worked all summer and shown up and not been there. Just fallen short, right? What's amazing about God is while he is acknowledging that we have a high calling and we need to work, he's not leaving us to our own just to figure it out. Hope you make it. Call me when you get there. That's what the cross country coach did for me. God is not like that. God is actually coming alongside us and he wants to come alongside these Christians that we're reading about and help them grow, right? And that's what Paul is going to go into. He's gonna go into the growth process. So what we're going to see right now, if you're with me and you're saying, well, yes, high calling, I'm in. I realize I need to work. How do I get there? If you're with me so far, Paul takes us to one of the primary means that God has given us to grow into who we were made to be. Paul begins to speak about the church. It's verse four. And he says this, he says, there's one body. So he's talking about that you and me, when we come to follow Jesus, we remain individuals and yet we're connected like the parts of a body. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So he's talking about the church that we are brought into when we believe in Jesus, this community that we're made part of. Earlier in Ephesians, he says we're a part of God's forever family that we've been adopted in when we come to know Jesus. In verse seven, though, after speaking about what unites us, he speaks about things that God has given to us that are different than one another. And where in the world we hate differences and we force conformity in the church, we see differences as valuable and beautiful. Amen. We see diversity as a value. And we're going to read about some diverse gifts that God has given to the church to help you and me grow into our calling. Verse seven, but to each one of us, I highlighted it for you because that's important. Say each one of us. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. I'm going to keep you with me. That means you. Turn to your other neighbor and say, that means me. Each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So not just to the high and holy man of long ago or the missionary living around the world, you know, taking care of orphans. To each one of us, that means you and that means me, grace from God has been given. Now this word grace has a number of meanings in the New Testament. We need to understand what Paul is saying here when he's referencing it here. Sometimes grace, you read it, and it means the favor of God. That's not what he's talking about here. Sometimes when you read grace, he's talking about the salvation that we receive in Jesus. That's not what he's talking about here. Here he's referencing a meaning of the word that has to do with supernatural power that comes into our life as a gift. In his day, uh, it was used at times to describe someone under the power of a magic spell or someone that could cast magic spells or used to describe demonic powers. Paul's not saying any of that. What he's saying is to the church, God has given to each one of us a unique supernatural power that comes into our life as a gift. These are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's why we call them that. It's a gift. And then he's going to go on to describe those gifts. Just as an aside, that's why we're calling this series Discovering Your Superpower, 
because we want to help you discover what that grace is. God has it for you, and that's what we're going after. So verse 11, we learn about these graces, these gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. So we're going to learn actually that Christ himself gave them. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now look in verse 12. He gave these gifts for a certain purpose. Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Who are his people? That's you and me, right? To equip us so that we might be ready to serve God's purposes so that the body of Christians, so that, the, that we can be built up into our calling. You get what he's saying? God's given these gifts to equip so the church might become all that she was made to be, that you might become all that you were made to be. Now, this word equip, again, uh, has a number of uh, distinct meanings that I want to point out to you that are very encouraging. So I'm going to read to you the different meanings of the word equip in this same verse so you can get a picture of what Paul is talking about. So let's read the first one in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, catch this meaning of equip, to mend what had been broken in his people so that now they would be empowered for works of service. So you get a little bit more idea of what, what equip means. Let's look at another version. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to bring along catalytic partnerships for works of service that the body of Christ might be built up. Get that, partnering people together in catalytic ways. That's one of the meanings of equip. Here's another one. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to put them in the right spot for works of service. If any of you have ever read the, the, the famous business book, Good to Great, he talks about not only for a business to be great, not only do you need the right people on the bus, you need the right people in the right seats on the bus. If you're a businessman or woman, you've probably read that book, you get the idea. For the rest of us, right? He's talking about this verse right here is getting people in their right spot where they're fit to flourish and to bring life. That's one of the meanings of equip. Verse, uh, another one. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to strengthen them for works of service. So for us to become strong, that's another meaning of equip. Last one. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to help them become who they were made to be. It's another version of equip for works of service. So you get the idea. These gifts are given, these five gifts are given to equip, to strengthen, to make us into all that we were made to be. And then he goes on to describe what that looks like. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith. So we're built up and strong in our faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And we become mature so that we grow up strong in our faith. If you felt like you have weak faith or it's faith is just kind of tossed to and fro, to and fro, to and fro, Paul is saying when the apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and, and, and pastors are released in the church to equip, right? We're not gonna have just wishy-washy faith. We're gonna have people strong in their faith. We're going to have people not immature in their character. We're going to have people mature in their character, a measure of fullness. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, right? Speaking to maturity, 
We'll no longer be tossed back and forth by the waves, speaking to just kind of so inconsistent in my relationship with God. We won't be blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of Jesus who is the head. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So let's make sure we got what he's saying. He's saying that we're united as the body of Christ. That's one of the gifts that God has given us to help us grow into our calling. To the body of Christ, to the church, he's given these particular gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and shepherds. And he's given those gifts to build up, to equip, to strengthen, to align the church so that all of us together may grow strong in our faith, may live a life worthy of our calling, may become mature, and may build up one another that we might be strong. That sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds like what you want for your life. That sounds like what I want for my life is to be built up and to be strong and to be mature. And God has made a way for us. So let's look for a moment at, well, what are we meaning when we're talking about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? For many of us, those might be strange terms that we don't hear often in the church world. And I'm like, I, I don't know. We might've heard those used in ways where it's like, that's scary. Keep that over there. That was for long ago. Don't, don't mess with that, right? That might be what we, what we see. But what Paul's talking about, I think is really important. And he's talking about that God has given these gifts to the church. So I think if we want to be built up and if we want to walk in our calling, if we want to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, we need to understand what these gifts are. These are called the equipping gifts. Last week we saw the motivational gifts that speak to the way we're wired. These gifts speak to the way that people impact and develop uh, other Christians and build up the body. So let's look at the first one, the apostles. If you're familiar with that term, you've probably heard it in reference to the 12 disciples that Jesus chose in Luke chapter five. They're commonly called the apostles. To be an apostle was a cultural term that Jesus borrowed uh, when a kingdom would establish a new colony in a new land. They would send out the apostleship on the water to go to the new land, to establish the new colony, to bring in the culture of the founding kingdom. Right? And so Jesus called his main disciples, he called them apostles because he was going to send them out to new places to establish the kingdom in new lands, to bring new uh, influences of the culture, the kingdom of God in new places. That's what an apostle is. And most of the time we just think about the 12. But I don't know if you know this, there are more than 12 that are listed in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 5, we see the original disciples referred to as the 12. In Luke chapter 10, we see the 12 expanded to 70. So it's not just 12 that were apostles. Now we have 70 in Luke chapter 10. Now we know Luke wrote the gospel of Luke uh, to explain how the Christian faith had moved from a small little area in Jerusalem to, to spread all the way to Rome and was turning the world upside down. And so the trajectory for Luke is talking about the expansion of the gospel going forward, the expansion of these apostles, these sent ones carrying the good news of the kingdom throughout the world. He's not talking about kind of a little, 
a little closed off relic for a museum. He's pointing out that it's expanding and it's growing. I made a little, a little drawing for you that I think would help us see this. Can you pull up that little circle drawing? It's pretty good. I'm not a great graphic designer, but there's what I got. So what I want you to see is that center circle is Jesus. He's the founding apostle of our faith. And Jesus called the original 12, and then you see he called the 70. But later on in the New Testament, we see Judas fall away from his calling, right? So to be an apostle doesn't mean you're perfect, right? You can get way off track. Judas did that. And then they replace him with Matthias. Later on, they add Paul, who's writing this letter. But there are, I believe, 83 people in the New Testament referenced as apostles, men and women. So let that blow our minds for a moment, right? The point is that this gift is not limited to a few, but it's an ever-expanding gift because the good news of the kingdom needs to be proclaimed to the whole world. Jesus is not just for a few. He is for all. And he wants all to have an opportunity to come to know him. That's how good he is. That's how wide his mercy and love is. And so the idea of apostles just being a few cuts off the expansion of the gospel going into new territory. You might be like, well, Zach, I thought apostles wrote scripture. You're right. A few wrote scripture. Not every apostle wrote scripture. A few had that assignment. Not all of them. And we're not saying that these apostles that are being referenced later in the New Testament had that calling to write scripture. We actually believe that the Bible is sufficient in and of itself. We don't need to add another chapter. We don't need to move on and put something, you know, create a second book. This is awesome. It's complete, right? But we still need apostles because there are still places where Christ has not been proclaimed. So we don't need new scripture. We do need people to embody this and to take it into new places, new cultures, new areas, and shine the light and goodness of Jesus. That's why our church mission is we want to saturate Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. So here's a definition of an apostle. The pioneering function of the church, this includes the vision and capacity to extend the reach of the gospel in healthy, innovative, and effective ways into new territories and to cultivate and guard over strong and healthy kingdom culture. So some examples, because I realize maybe we're not all like knee deep in the Bible all day. We're like, apostles, help me out here. I'm gonna give you some examples from our culture. I'm not saying these people follow Jesus, but what I'm saying is you understand what I'm talking about as an apostle when I point them out to you, okay? Steve Jobs, right? Gets this vision for this new kind of company and starts this revolution and builds this company that extends after his death, built this whole amazing thing called Apple, right? That's kind of an idea of what an apostle is like. Joanna Gaines, Fixer Upper, Magnolia, that thing has just exploded. They have hundreds of people working for them and they're taking on new territory all the time. Amazing, and she's the visionary. She's the one kind of pioneering the way. Truett Cathy, Chick-fil-A is unreal. He's the founder of Chick-fil-A. And there's just a new one every time you turn around and there's always a line all the way around the place and they always have great service. It's amazing. You can kind of get the idea of what an apostle might be like. Now, prophet. The Spirit works through the prophetic person to help the church grow with integrity by understanding what the Lord wants to emphasize in a certain period, to call out the golden people and to help them see who God has made them to be. Here's some examples of people that you can kind of get, oh, this idea of what he's talking about, prophet. Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. I'm not saying he's a Jesus follower. I'm just saying he kind of plays that role where he'd come through and he'd have, you know, here's what we need to do and just 
man, uh, Mother Teresa, right? She called uh, us to care for the poor and to be who God has called us to be. MLK Jr., similar idea. Those are prophetic people. The evangelist is focused on proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And the reason I'm going through this is because I believe built into you more than likely is one of these five things. It's a way that God wants to develop you. It's part of your calling. It's part of who he's made you to be. It's part of what God wants to do through your life. And I believe he wants you to be amazed at what he does through your life, at the end of your life. So you need to know this. The evangelist is focused on proclaiming the good news of the gospel, particularly to non-Christians. The evangelist is a storyteller, the recruiter to the cause, the naturally infectious person who can enlist people into what God is doing in and through the church. Here's some examples in our culture. Again, I'm not saying they're representing Jesus. Oprah. Oprah can just rally people together. Tony Robbins, the kind of self-help guy, can just rally people together. Billy Graham, who recently passed away, we called him an evangelist because he was always bringing people to come to know Christ. The pastor, the shepherding responsibility of the church, maintaining and developing healthy community and enriching relationships. This involves a commitment to form saintly people, nurture spiritual maturity, maintain communal health, defend the community against breakdown, and engender loving community among the redeemed family of God. So here's some examples of pastors, and you may be this type of person. Colin Powell, the military leader, defending, right? Chip Gaines, he's the likable kind of glue on that TV show, and he's kind of the guy that makes everybody want to be there. Your favorite coach was probably a pastor, right? He probably made you want to be a part and believed in you and called you up. The glue person on your favorite team at work or in your school or on your favorite sports team, probably a pastor. You get the idea of the teacher. Last one, the teacher's concerned with the appropriation of wisdom and understanding in order to pass it on to others. Examples, Yoda from Star Wars, right? The classic teacher. Socrates, Plato. So you see this idea of these teachers. So going back to the verse, you realize if these people were together, wow, some things will start to happen, right? The church will start to move forward. Donnie, could you grab that bike for me? I got a little example that I want to show you. Oftentimes, if you've been in the church, uh, churches get built around one of these gifts, maybe two. We tend to gravitate toward things that are like us. But what we see the apostle Paul talking about is that we need all five to come together and to be operable in a place. And that's how we become mature. So here's a little bike that I think is a good illustration, right? Each one of those gifts, you know, is a different part of the bike. You have the bicycle seat, you have the tire, you have the chain. They're different parts and they're, they're, they're okay on their own, right? But it's when you put them together, when you get them working together, well, now this thing will go somewhere. And so what I want you to see is we're talking about a team being built and people coming together based on their different giftings. I want you to think about which one of these five might you be in? Think about it. When we think about that, we can leave that right there just as a, see if it'll stay there. When we think about that, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, I could see how that would move some things forward. I could see how the church would move forward if that was released, right? In 1992, uh, the U.S. did a new thing in the Olympics and for the basketball kind of tournament, they allowed professional players to play. It's the first time they did that. And they got the best players of the NBA to play on what was called the dream team. 
Now, I remember I was a kid. Some of you probably weren't born then. Some of you were. You probably remember it. But you had Michael Jordan. You had Magic Johnson. You had Larry Bird. You had the best of the best on one team. I got a little picture for you just to refresh your memory. And they were going to go to the Olympics, and they were going to take on the world. And when I was a kid, I was at camp while the Olympics happened that summer. And my dad would send me letters. You guys remember when you used to get letters that meant something? All the letters I get now are political things that tell me who to vote for. But back then, he would send me letters and he would cut out the newspaper clippings, right, and send them to me. And I would just wait and wait and wait to hear what the dream team had done. When we read about these apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, shepherds, we think, oh, the dream team. Man, release them. I'm going to get my popcorn and just watch. This will be awesome. We need to be more like that. But that's not what Paul is saying. He actually goes another level. Look at verse 15 with me. And we're headed toward the end. Verse 15, he says, it's these gifts, uh, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, shepherd, that equip the body or train the body or help the body get aligned. Now look in verse 16 of what happens. From Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Remember we said that you're the body, right? So we're held together. Grows and builds itself up in love. So the growth in a way comes from God because we're connected to Jesus. But in a way, the growth comes from the body building itself up as each part does its work. What that means is you have a meaningful part to play. What that means is we're not talking about a dream team that we sit around and watch, but what we believe is that God wants to use you and develop you and grow your gifts and then unite you with people who are different than you and y'all can partner together to see the kingdom of God grow and flourish in a new way and for people to be strong and to walk in their calling, right? The body becomes strong. Let's show Arnold. We become like this. You get strong in your faith. You get mature. That sounds exciting. That doesn't sound like boring church. Doesn't sound like stale church. This sounds like a church where fireworks are happening. And that's what God has for us to grow and develop like that. So, as we close, I want to share with you that uh, our team has actually put a lot of time and thought into how to take this passage of scripture and reshape the way in which we do things uh, related to it. And that doesn't mean that we're going to start calling people these different titles. I don't think that's actually helpful in our, in our culture because uh, it's a lot, very misunderstood. But what we are going to do is we're going to normalize the language around these things. So you can talk about these things and you can ask questions and you can say, I need to figure that out, right? You can grow. We're going to normalize the language and we've built in a very intentional equipping process because we want to help you walk in your calling. We believe that your calling is significant and we will be intentional about helping you do that. So I want to share that with you because you might not be aware of it. <clears throat> Our equipping process. On Sundays, there's broad teaching like what's going on here. That's really important. You get the big idea, right? But it doesn't personalize it for you, okay? It doesn't help you. Well, how does this really connect? I mean, I think about you guys when I prepare these messages. I think about different ones in our church and I try and preach in such a way that it, it brings inspiration and application to your lives, and that's good. But there's more, right? There's more for it to really go deep down within us. And so what we want to help you do is you're in a life group and you're on a serve team. We want to help you find your anointed fit. We want to help you discover who God's called you to be. We want to help you discover your gifts. 
Again, we believe you're gifted. So we've got intentional processes and a focus on doing that. We want you to know what you're made for. That's really exciting. As you discover your anointed fit, we're creating a culture of patient apprenticing where we help us to grow into these things that God has made us for, right? It's not just here's a book, go figure it out, but we wanna walk with you and model it and release you in what you're gifted for. We wanna give you experiential learning, meaning not all classroom learning, but out trying to put these gifts into practice. And then we wanna mentor you alongside that experiential learning and what we'll see is that there'll be transitions along the way of growth and development and seasons of change. And so we've built our ministry structure around this because we believe this is what God has to make us strong and to help us live into our calling. And this doesn't leave us here, but what it does is it equips us not only to be gifts within the church, but for the church to be a gift to the world in all the places that God has assigned us. I'm gonna close with this quote. If you'll stand... Stanley Hauerwas, the Duke theologian, said this, that I go to church does not mean that I think Jesus is only to be found there. It just means that he has promised to show up there in a manner that can help us discern how he shows up in other places. We're talking about spiritual gifts. It's not just to be used within the church, but learning to develop within these relationships then positions you wherever God has assigned you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, to use those gifts for the good of your neighbor and for the glory of God. As we close, we're gonna take time to pray after the service. Our prayer and prophetic team will be here and would love to pray and minister to you. And listen, genuinely believe that God is moving in this place. God has something for you. And so if you're wanting more, if you're wanting to, someone to pray with you about anything, to prophesy over you, that's what we're here for. And we would love to do that as the service closes. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, man, we want to help introduce you to him. I want to invite you to come forward in just a minute. and We'll help you make that step. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you're here today and um, you just sense that uh, I'm going to share an image with you, that I think could be applicable to you. Uh, it's a tool shed where the lock and chain are locking to protect it and it's rusted shut. Inside are dreams and desires that have felt abandoned by God and lie dormant. But God does not give dreams and desires in vain. There are times where prayer and healing are needed to face these things. And in the prayer and healing, the rust fades and allows these dreams to be opened and approached again. So if that's for you, we want to pray and minister to you. If you're sick or you're injured, believe God heals and we want to pray for you. So I'm going to get the prayer team to come forward. I'm going to pray for all of us. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you that you have gifted each one of us with a high calling and with gifts that have power, Lord. And I pray that you would show us who you've called us to be and that you would develop us, that we go through the training that leads to the trophy, Lord. God, that we'd put in the hard work to live up to our calling and that you would glorify yourself and that many would be healed and saved and delivered and built up, marriages restored, family strengthened, businesses created, uh, industries changed out of what you do in our midst. I bless each and every one of my friends here in Jesus' name, amen.